Hello, welcome to episode 12 of the Therapy Tales podcast with me at dawn and Jess with Toosie on her lap. Toosie's not well just now, so she's um, she's getting extra TLC. I'm basically going to ruin her now. I wish you could see this because she's like a huge dog now. Big fluffy dog lying on a big, huge dog. Jess's lap. Take a picture and then we can upload it later when okay. um, we we'll, do the... Actually, we'll use it as the photo on the podcast. Yeah. She looks giant in that, actually. She's and we'll, we'll edit proper out me. wolf size. <laughs> so today we're speaking we're speaking in the park, and we thought, right, let's just go and get a coffee and talk about it officially. Because <laughs> we're not allowed to talk anymore, are we? No. So uh, I was having some uh, Facebook discussions earlier, and it very quickly turned into a you are wrong and I'd really try from not my side I really try and uh, keep a level head and, and understand that people get really emotional but um, there's a real problem going on in, in the dog world just now and, and I feel especially this week having to put um, a couple of dogs down really um, emotional about the, the feelings of force free and positive only uh, and so I've been discussing it with people that um, seem quite intelligent online you know that they, they do similar to what I do but it seems like they don't take in the problem, problem dogs. So they're giving out information about positive only and force free to people that are raising puppies, which is great because, you know, um, force free is fantastic with puppies, isn't it? Yep. Yeah, well, we went around the park this morning with uh, the taxi pups and they ran around the park with us. No leads in sight, no no restraints, and they just, uh, you know, come running for squeezy cheese or chicken or whatever, and then they explore the rest of the time, and they stay together. They don't wander very far, but there's nobody yelling, calling them back. You know, you don't even have to call them back to say the name, really. You just kind of puppies or whatever, so and they come the, running. The fairy tale of Force Free is the dogs hanging out with you, mm. uh, getting some food for staying close, uh, being allowed to explore. Yep and not having to be restrained by a lead, which 99% of dogs out there don't have. No. So the moment we put a lead on, we are forcing the dog to do our will, yeah. unless we have spent months teaching that dog to have a, an emotional response by that lead, which is, oh, this is a fun thing. Yep. Which again, 99% of people and dogs that I meet do not have that. So um, one of the things that I had suggested or talked about was, um, a very real thing that happened to me, uh, which was a dog was delivered, five hour trip, um, he, was, he was brought up. The owners um, that handed the dog to the rescue, the rescue have asked me to assess the dog. Uh, the completely neutral people had brought it up in their car, so they're the, they've given up their time to volunteer to bring the dog up. So they don't know the dog, so they're a yeah. middle party. Um, the rescue have asked the owner to put a muzzle on, but the dog wasn't able to get the muzzle on because it was trying to bite them. And the dog was brought up unleaded, unmuzzled in a crate. So five hours, when they arrived, I was 15 minutes late, when they arrived they wanted to let the dog out for a pee, the dog attacks them and the, the crate, through the crate, bars. Yeah. So they waited for me and they happened to be both uh, police officers, which was really interesting because, um, you know, they've obviously got level heads and, and they're not going to make any silly mistakes and they're very aware of potential outcome yeah. and risk assessment, right? So risk is this dog's going to bite somebody or, you know, and we're in a public car park. We're yeah. trying to meet in a neutral territory so I can take this dog and meet my dog before I take it home. Okay. Um, so my first thought was, if this goes wrong, this dog could be loose, right? That's my first thought. How do I minimise that? How do I keep him distracted so that I can get this? So I used a, a slip lead and I used my own dog muzzled. So I got Harpy muzzled, got the, one of the police guys to hold the dog, my dog nearby in the corner of the crate. So the dog was growling and attacking her. Right. 
um, and Harpy's being held there um, and she's not bothered, she's like whatever um, and I snuck in through a, a tiny gap, opened the crate and put a slip lid on him, yep. ca- caught him um, all very stealth mode and, and um, nice and calm but it was a situation which could have gone very bad very quickly yep. so this is my example, it's a real life example I had to use force to get that dog out of the car because yep. he, he wanted to attack and bite he was pretty stressed right? so um, I'm using that example to, to people that claim to be force free and they, they come back at me with well, every, not everything is able to be force free um, so one of the things that they'd said was what you're addressing is arguably it's far too late so it's prevention's better than you know cure a lot of the time so that would be when you're doing a force three yeah. and uh, that's great so they're they're all kind of saying the same thing that yeah. um that you know we can use whatever necessary force is, is needed at the time yes but that's not what the general public are hearing they're hearing that any force required um to the dog is um and, and especially when it comes to raising puppies so force would be it's growling at me. I better just leave it alone. Which has all these things have their repercussions. Yes. They all have outcomes. Yeah, yeah. And so that's the thing I'm trying to prevent. So, um, yeah. So somebody mentioned earlier on the, on the post. I'm going to find it while I let Don talk about this. Somebody mentioned earlier this this word unnecessary force, and you thought that was quite a good. I thought I thought it was interesting because, you know, um, you know, if you're talking force free. I think people, when they get involved in, in social media posts and, and things like that, where you've got this protection of no consequences for anything you say, you know, it's, it's like going into a room full of people with an invisibility cloak on. You just don't have any any boundaries or limitations, you know. You could just go poke people, listen in on people. Um, and I think social media comes across like that a lot of the time because there's just no consequences. So you say things that you would not in polite society say. You would always measure and you would always consider the other person. And I think when it gets into social media, people stop considering other people because there's no consequences. And so when you get in a discussion, very often what amuses me about social media discussions is that you usually have two or more people stating their opinion in increasingly stronger ways. So if somebody counters, then they'll go off and they'll find another article that validates their point or they'll find another way of saying their point and they basically start shouting louder and louder until eventually somebody gets very personal. Usually this is what happens when somebody realises they've got no other ground to cover and they run out of argument, they just start being um, very personal and start accusing you of not getting it or you being stupid. And it goes deeper, doesn't it? Yeah, because yeah. you've got then a, a, a witch hunt of people because generally they're on a page where there'll be other people that think like them. Yes. So other people join in, yeah, 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 and um, I'm going to cough. <coughs> I've got something going on in my throat at the moment. Um, just talk. <laughs> so, yeah, in my experience, they tend to be a group of people that are saying that, backing them up. So whatever they say, even if it's illogical or incorrect, it, it's, um, it, can, it can turn very illogical very quickly because you've got people that have strong opinions um, so for, for this group for example that um, I was speaking on I've got some of the comments here that you know to us and to you you'll you'll absolutely laugh at this you know so one of the situations sorry the, the situation that I was talking about when one person had come on to say we'll just throw some steak in that'll sort it and it was hysterical 
it is funny like but this is my, genuinely her her yeah her, her reason my, my my dog is is desperate for a pee and um i can't get at them to get them out so i'll just wait and, and i'll throw some steak in and they'll come out that's high like, value and, I, and let me just grab my steak that's in my pocket and, and and these people that are coming up with this and really passionate about this topic about not using force at any cost um the they don't they don't deal with the cases like that they don't have to they, they can choose to go I'll turn a blind eye to that and i'll just get on with my life and have my nice dog that i've raised positively and um turn a blind eye to what's actually going on out with that yep. so another example is that um recently a friend of mine bought some chickens from a farm who's just leased the, the part of the land to a trainer and they've asked for my number for help with um predation for this dog's dogs hunting um, deer okay and so I said, why haven't they chosen the trainer that they're renting the land to? Why haven't they gone to, to them? And he said, well, because he's, they've, they've worked with him and they can't take him any further because they only do course free. So they, they, they've got to a point where, you know, we, we can't help you. Yeah. So what is the, what do they think in their minds? Do they think the dog should just be leaded for its life? The dog should be put down? So what, what do they think? In their so heads? the concept that most people seem to miss out on humans and animals any animal is our brains learn by experience Mm -hmm. and that means we can only learn by doing something not by not doing something so force free is the absence of something yes and our brains can't learn by the absence of something they can only learn by the presence of something so and it doesn't have to so so i think the implication is i think the word force is the problem here is the implication is any correction is therefore force but that's how how we learn we learn by doing and that's why you can't have every so you can have trained your dog incredibly well in a force-free way but then it comes across a deer that it's never learned about it's never been near a deer before and it's going to run after the deer now if you've trained your dog to leave when you tell it and come back to you then any new thing, and I think you had a post about um, Remy going for the corn on the cob and things like that, things that would be poisonous to the dog, yeah. and Ashley had called it back and Remy had come back and gone, oh, you called me, I'll come back. Now, that means that a situation that you've never experienced in life, you have a rule for how to experience it. But if you're doing a force-free way, you don't, anything that you've not encountered you have to rely on go oh don't that's awfully not nice you know and it's and it's and it's fluffy buffies and fluffy bunnies and unicorns you know i think a lot of us well then it's taken a step further with the with the community because it's now got to the point where dog owners think that any correction is negative so if my dog's um picked up something that it shouldn't and it's about to be poisoned and, and by that we have to swap instead of telling him you can't have that give yeah, it get your steak out your pocket that you had ready yeah. already and it's, yeah. it's over right you, you they've lost that time um so yeah i think that the, the the ethos behind it was let's get rid of the old smacking of dogs with newspapers and you know yelling at dogs and I, yeah. get, I totally get yeah, that yeah. um you know we've moved on but we've then gone to the opposite side where we're not understanding that uh, life isn't we don't learn by not doing as you just yeah, said we, we learn, only by, learn by doing we learn there, by there was um, an article in new scientist about this where they um and i love new scientists it's my guilty pleasure if any of you kind of like things like this the new scientist magazine you can get it physically and online 
but they have articles on everything. So you'll have articles on psychology, you'll have articles on um, geology and space, and there's something in every uh, every magazine. Anyway, so this particular article was on um, learning through failure, and what they did was they tested people's knowledge on something. But they gave one group of people a pre-test where they asked them questions that they failed a lot of because they didn't know it and then had to read the article and then there were other people who just read the article and then took a test at the end. The people who had had the pre-test, because they knew the sort of thing they needed to focus their learning on, did a lot better in the test after they read the article because they could actually understand what they were looking for in the article because they'd messed up to start off with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the people who only did the test afterwards didn't do as well because it's like, well, of all of this, what am I supposed to process? So failure gives us the opportunity to go, this does work and this doesn't work. And that's why experiences like going on a walk with other dogs, other humans, is brilliant because it gives you real life examples. And training can only go so far because it's a false environment. Yeah, and the word training is, I mean, it was brought up earlier. So somebody had, I'm I'm on this, this post just now, so... Lots of people had commented on this. It's really, you know, it's it's an emotional thing. This yeah. topic of what training method is best. So somebody had um, commented, this isn't a training scenario. So with the dog in the car, yes. this isn't a training scenario. This is an emergency situation, yes. which I suppose is fairly true. Yeah. But your your whole way that you handle yourself and how you deal with that. Your for training me, gets you ready for your scenarios. And the dog's also for me going to be learning. So that's the first experience he's got of me. Yes. So um, I would like him to understand that that's not acceptable behaviour. Yep. This is what we're going to do. And then the moment that he goes, I'm not going to try and kill you or your dog, I relax that lead. Yes. So I'm, I'm training him already. So I don't see how it's not a training situation. It's, it's really funny, actually, because, um, again, outside person, not used to this kind of world, from almost like the first moment of going on your walks, hearing people go, like you go, rude to a dog when it does <laughs> It's, rude. Just, it's really funny when you tell a dog it's rude for for not following the rules or something. It, but the dog's not listen. really telling the dog. I'm kind of just saying it out loud yeah. for everybody that that, the, that was ill mannered. Yeah, yeah, but the dog also responds. It's like you, you kind of give your instruction. You go, that was rude, and and everybody kind of picks up on it. And I just think it's really it entertains me because as you say, <laughs> it, it is everything's a, that's not acceptable in our world. I guess it's nicer than saying no, stop it. That's not bad. Yeah, dog. it's not. It's not a critical <laughs> statement at all. It's it's kind of so. Um, Many years ago, my husband and I were looking at fostering, and uh, one of the things when you foster kids is that the parents have parental rights still. So you've got a parent group that is failing their child, the child has gone to another parent group to look after them for a temporary period, and therefore the ones that are failing still have autonomy over things like can they have the haircut and things like that. And if you bring them into a household with other kids in, it's going to be really hard for them to go from one environment to another. And um, it was with Bernardo's that we were doing the training, and the woman who was leading it says, well, a useful phrase to go is, in our house, this is how it works. So that it's not kind of telling them off or anything like that, and they're not having something to fight. It's just in our house, this is how it works. So so in your walks, in our pack, this yeah. is regarded as rude behaviour. This is the, this is absolutely. These are the acceptable boundaries. And there might be people that come along that have done a different thing for many years and think this is all this is all really wrong. Yeah. But then they're going to have probably a different... Uh, thinking well, strategy of what happiness is so yes. like I said yes um, when we did the last podcast um, 
there are people that think it's okay for a dog to not have dog company. Yeah. And I think that's horrendous. That every animal should be able to be with its. Yeah. You know, same kind, especially animals. Well, most importantly, animals that live in a group. And I, I guess the irony is that the, the force-free, you know, positive-only. The idea is that we make our dogs more happy by doing that. But actually. You know, we had this conversation about the kind of hippies, and, and it's, it's like it's not. It doesn't make you happy to not know the rules of engagement, and then to find yourself in a situation where you don't fit in because nobody's ever taught you what but is socially normal. engaging that, right? Yeah. So everyone's got this different version of, of and, and I might, I might be wrong. Yes. Um. So the fairy tale. You know, somebody else had come on here to say, who's assessed this dog as suitable for travel? Which um, transport company decided a public car park was the best environment to juice? introduce the dog to so you know this is all fairy tale stuff Fluffy bunnies and you want, you want yeah. everything perfectly set up so that and that's ideal great yeah, yeah. but life isn't like that have you um, noticed as you've been alive for you know a number of years yeah yeah, yeah, yeah let's not say how many because it's <laughs> disturbing me right now well yeah. what i mean is that we, we've been yeah, alive yeah. long enough to know that life isn't just that straightforward line it's and, um, and the thing i i, I say you know it, it's one of the things that's taught me to live in the moment which took me a long time to do is that the things that disrupt your life for the things that you don't plan for yes it's those blindside moments where in a moment your whole world changes by something you've done or by something somebody else has done and then ev- you wish you could go but you desperately wish you could go back before that moment where everything was different I had a few of those it? yeah yeah i know <laughs> <laughs> but but you know it teaches what it's taught me is you have to take the moment as it is because no amount of preparation worrying or going back makes a damn bit of difference to anything what does make a difference is resilience though right and, and, and being able to bounce back from that and even cope in the moment of that of, of thinking logically and not losing yourself to you know a panic attack for example yeah. which isn't a negative thing no. but obviously it affects everybody else around you and, and maybe potentially the outcome as well yeah yeah and, and i think you know that's another thing you learn through experience right you learn what does and doesn't work and and within the limitations of what you're physically capable to with your brain switched on or off but I think for me, resilience is not about how you're affected by stuff. Okay. It's about how quickly you bounce back after sure. you've been affected by stuff. Sure. So I think one of the interesting things is, you know, we have a predisposition as, as humans, I think, to get the spiky stick and the hair shirt out when something goes wrong and just use it as a cycle to beat ourselves up. But it makes us feel a little bit better, though, like, you know, that blame. Yeah. I mean, for me, obviously, as you know, this week I've had the blame, but also for me it's more about how do we prevent that from happening again? Yeah. And learn and from and that and use that as an experience. It's been a massive transformational experience for you on a number of different levels because you have had that ability to go, right, what have I learned? How did that happen? How can I prevent it in the future? What things do I need to change in, in who I am and how I live my life? And I think that's, for me, that's resilience. That's being able to go, right, this totally sucked. <laughs> and it might have floored me and I might have really struggled at the time. But now, now what am I going to do? You know, what what happens next? Not what should I have done, but what happens next? Yeah. And that, that's resilience for me. So it's a, sometimes I say clients come to me and they expect to end up as this perfect, amazing person. I'm like, I'm just not that good. You know, there's nobody that's going to be perfect and amazing. But your ability to deal with stuff is going to get a lot easier and a lot quicker to get over stuff that happens and that's that's what matters if you know you can get through things really quickly like really big things then and it's important for us to do that i feel for everyone because um if we go to a dark place and stay there it affects every single person that we know and every interaction that we have and it doesn't actually lead to anything positive as a result of it because then you go into protection and protect, you can't protect for everything, right? Because you can't protect for circumstances that you've not experienced. So you just end up avoiding everything, which, you know, 
brings us back to this argument of how do we learn? We don't learn by avoiding everything. We don't learn by not understanding what's right and what's wrong and what's acceptable and what's not acceptable. Yeah. You can't learn from just what is acceptable. So um, going back to this, uh, this comments again, um, so this trainer is very constantly talking about how you can't reinforce fears and yet in her message, in her comment, she said, um, in this hypothetical situation, which wasn't hypothetical for me, it was very real, um, there's a number of variables, it's not possible to say what I would do, but I'd be sure whatever I was doing would not be confirming the dog's fears. Okay. So the same she... person that says you can't reinforce fear is now saying that she's going to make sure she's not going to be confirming the dog's fears. Interesting. Isn't which is, it? Isn't it? Which is why, you know, when somebody said that you shouldn't use unnecessary force, I thought that's such an interesting word to put in there. You know, because unnecessary it's totally great. changes the meaning of that sentence. Yeah. And it's, it's, so, so what happens is you have people who end up expressing personal opinions as facts. So what you've got is somebody saying, this is what I think. There is absolutely no foundation but to it. But there's a lot of weight that goes with numbers, and then it becomes the the fact. It yes. becomes what everyone's looking for, yeah. which actually started as a, you know. And, and here she goes on to say, these last chance dogs are often raised. You know, the fact is they're not the main thing that people are talking about. What I'm talking about are people that choose to be aggressive towards the dog because it suits their ego. I, I I've never come across that. Yeah. I don't think I, I can think of anybody apart from a junkie once that I took a dog off. One time in 20 years, yeah. right? I cannot think of anybody who's chosen to be aggressive purposefully. Yeah. So when uh, this accident happened this week, you said to me, you didn't um, you didn't plan that, you weren't, what did you say, you, you weren't, um, I've forgotten the words, basically that, you know, the accident wasn't, you know, my, yeah, yeah, I didn't want to do that to, yeah. the, to, to the dog, so it was an accident. And um, when people, uh, can I use her words, choose to be aggressive, I don't think people choose to be aggressive. I think they lose the plot and they get angry because they're not getting their way and frustrated, and that that grows into aggression. Fight or flight, right? So, if that's what they're basing their argument on about being force-free and not choosing to be aggressive, that's what I'm not seeing. So she's saying that these last chance dogs she's not seeing a lot of. That's all I see. That's all I get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get some puppies, but mostly I get dogs that have, you know. Um, people are going. This is our. You've heard them. Yeah, this yeah. is my last dog. This is my last dog's chance, right? Sorry, my last. The dog's last. Last chance, chance for my dog. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and th- this is what she's she's talking about. It's not in the main what we're talking about. We're talking about raising puppies, and that's great. But you've put this idea out from mainstream, so every single person that sees it is going four three four three. I'm not talking about her. The yeah, idea yeah. of it, you know, yeah. and what she's um, backing up. Um, so the majority of cases is aggressive treatment because of sorry aggressive behaviour because of a history of poor treatment, which we talked about in one of our other podcasts, right? It's I, not. I think, uh, and that, but that's a really naive view. It's, it's not a, it's poor treatment. People no. aren't beating up and purposely causing, you know, they're not. No, and, but that, and that's our, that's an assumption of a layperson that a dog, if you're kind, we talked about this, right? If you're kind to a dog, it won't have any problems. It's the dogs that have been badly treated that get aggressive. That's a layperson. You're not on a forum there with lay people. You have people who know dogs, who train people with dogs. Should know better. But yeah, essentially what Absolutely. that woman's saying is, I do not agree with hitting and like caging dogs and constraining them in a violent way. That's basically what she's saying. And then she's applying that filter blanket to, to every conversation. Well, it gets she's worse. So someone else comes on and to say, uh, the human species has thousands of years of justifying violence towards animals. No. And it's really frustrating that there are people justifying in the name of saving last chance dogs. No. Anyone who understands <laughs> oh how learning takes place should know that using pain and intimidation to suppress behaviour doesn't teach anything. 
and again, that's all wrong. <laughs> I mean, using pain and intimidation um, is absolutely how we um, learn because I don't mean I'm not saying I'm condone this, but yeah. otherwise if it didn't work. They wouldn't be using it in Guantanamo, would they? To yes. get information out of prisoners or whatever they do there, yeah, yeah. right? Hor- horrific things. Um, it does teach things, and, and we do learn from it. It's not maybe a, the, the best way or an appropriate yeah. way, but um, nor does it change a behaviour in a lasting way. Please don't justify abusing abusive training methods. <laughs> this is what I'm doing by yeah. saying I don't believe that force-free is useful for us to put out to the general public as a, a term. Please justify it. And they've come in with um, what I'm saying by that is I'm justifying abusive training methods. So I had a manager many years ago when I was working in that Dublin office and um, I'd been given the job of putting a quality standard in place in the call centre. It was the first place outside of the US to do it. So none of us knew how to do it. I was like wet behind the ears, done some training, done some tech support. I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> and I was based in Watford, right? So I was flying over to Dublin and I was trying to help the team in Dublin learn how to do something that I didn't know how to do myself. And so I was using the site manager to kind of get help. and. Every time I went back to Watford, nobody did anything. So um, I, I would go back in frustration saying, you know, I can't be here all the time. The team needs to do their stuff. And, and he disagreed with me because he felt I should do it for them. But he was the sort of guy that if you, if you put something in front of him and said, this is red, he'd go, no, that's green. And you go, well, this is red because that's red too. And you go, that's not relevant to the argument. <laughs> and, and I see that in that kind of argument, which is, you know, this is what I believe. I'm going to actually plaster this on everything, every discussion. I believe you shouldn't hit docs. Right, we're all agreeing with the same thing. But I've learned sort of in time to ignore those things. So it takes us off topic to a place where you're trying to dissect yeah. the little bits and, yeah. then, and then you just get down a rabbit hole of... No. You know, and then you become the bad guy, don't you? <coughs> and when they say you're abusing dogs, you're just like, well, you've just lost. I'm just going right, to Because you've just got argument. personal. Yeah. So the minute you get personal, you lose. You keep it to the topic and you can have an engagement. But the minute you start getting... Um, start being rude and obnoxious, you lose an argument. I'm still reading these. So one of the one paper person came on. She's a trainer as well. Um, get a muzzle on this dog if you're skilled enough. Well, I can't get it out of the car to get a muzzle on. How am I going to get near its face with my hands? Like, once they make a robotic arm that can put muzzles on, that would be handy. But Plus, you know, I can't see how anybody who is an advocate of this, I'm putting quotes, force free, would be okay with a muzzle being on a dog because you're constraining its mouth. I mean, that, that's, well, not, that's also not force free. That's not force free. I mean, the most force free to deal with this would be to let him do what he wants. Yeah, let him out and let him savage everybody. Yes, and so somebody had come on to say um, any dog that needs protective contact to work with shouldn't be worked with. So that's a. That's oh, a so we'll just kill all those dogs? That, well, that's exactly what they're doing, isn't it? So, <coughs> as what dogs trust does. I'm maybe not meant to mention that on a public podcast, but that's exactly what they do. Yeah. And they, they, know, they know healthy dogs are put down, but they say it's behavioural and psycho- psychological health. So yeah. Which, you know, if we've seen so many be rehabbed, then is it? And if you can't do it with force free, you should just kill it? Oh, it's a it's a rabbit hole of hell. Yeah. So you do defensive handling until you get him out, probably with a slip lead. I don't recommend these, but I would use it for emergencies. That's what she said. And then you start to work on your relationship without force <coughs> and help him feel safe, which is probably one, one of the most positive messages that I've got on this, yep. on this thread. Um... Yeah, leave the dog until you can safely get to it when it's going to eat. So, right, so that could be days. So yeah. just park up and leave the dog in the crate for days. 
Yeah. The people brought it up in the car. Yeah, Leave the car, be... in the car park, yeah, with the yeah, dog yeah. in it. So, yeah, so some, this is the person that came on to say, this is an interesting one. This is not new to me. I come from a family heritage of training dangerous animals, a heritage that spans back centuries for us Romani and indigenous people that are animal caretakers. We've uh, been handling these cases without unnecessary force and far more deadly animals than domestic canine. So that was your unnecessary force That was comment. my unnecessary force one. I think it's, it's a really insightful thing to say because, yeah, I, without doubt, there's generations of knowledge in how to handle deadly animals and vicious, dangerous animals, and um, it will not be force-free. They will use force when necessary, but what they're saying is essentially we don't need to beat up these animals, we don't need to be cruel to these animals to be able to have them domesticated or whatever, which everybody's agreeing. Like, there's nobody here saying, you know, if you hit your dog, that'll stop it doing stuff. I mean, there's people who do that, but most normal people don't do that. Well, they don't want to. I mean, in my experience, people that have got pets have got it because they want a relationship and and not one of domination and control. Yeah. So this is a really interesting one now. So force-free is actually impossible. We use leads, doors, administer medication without consent. We take away dogs' choices due to safety. When people say they're force-free, such as I do, it means it will not use force to teach. We don't try and change behaviour through techniques that make a dog feel uncomfortable, fearful and pain. We try and find out why a dog is behaving a certain way and then find ways to support them. Force-free is a code of ethics. We're all human and no person on the planet can say they're force-free all the time, but we strive for it in teaching and rehabilitation ways and it's always possible in my experience. So that was really nice and it's the first time someone's actually admitted that force-free isn't a thing. (laughs) Why call yourself that? Words are so important. To me, words are so... And the problem is the phrase force-free here. That's, that, it's not force that's the problem. Yes. It's pain and punishment that's the problem, not force. Force is constraints, correction, boundaries. Force is not cruelty and punishment. So the term force-free is the problem. Absolutely. Because everybody hears it, like we all do, right? So we all hear something in the same way as somebody sees a big dog and thinks it's scary and a small dog and thinks it's okay. Yeah. You know, it's, it, we all have our preconceived ideas. So, um, someone else says, please give us a break on using physical management when the emergency or or an urgent situation is not the same as training. I'm so tired of throw cookies to stop a fight. It's a false comparative. You're just stupid. That's nice. I said to her, thank you for your thoughtful comment. (laughs) Because Americans don't get um, sarcasm. I know, you can have great fun with it. If you're taking on a case uh, and setting up a handover of an unleashed, unmuzzled, unhappy dog in a public car park, you're not setting anyone up for success. Super. That well done. Point. Yeah, yeah. That is the point. I agree. <laughs> yeah, I do agree. That's you know, why I, I told the rescue off yeah, and said, yeah. you know, this has put me in a really bad situation. But it's life. It happens. Yeah. Um, and, and I wonder what a forestry person would do. They wouldn't hit the taste on it. I, I suppose. A, a forestry person won't be anywhere near it. Yeah. Because you can't deal with emergency. They're just staying. You can't deal with emergency situations in a forestry way. So today, while we're on the walk and the puppies are running around. What would have happened if somebody walked by and their dog had gone for one of the puppies? Would you just go to the puppy, come on here puppy, you know? Or would you go grab it and pick it up and get it out of the way? Would you expect that the person with the dog to grab it, grab the collar, grab the lead, pull them off? Or would you just stand there and kind of go, they need to work it out? Because if you're saying you're going to be truly force free, then you would have to just stand there and, and observe that. 
and then you'd probably say, well, you shouldn't have put the puppies in that situation in the first place. So actually what you should do is just leave your puppies in the kitchen in the house so they don't get in that situation. Yeah. So then you can be truly force free. Get them in a, a glass cabinet. Yeah, yeah. Get a stuffed toy. <laughs> this one's really good. This has only been posted eight minutes ago. You'll like this one. <laughs> I'm never sure whether just means that I'm going to like this one or I'm going to go, oh my god. Using force in this instant doesn't mean you're a force-free trainer. It just means multiple steps beforehand were out of your control. You need to get the dog managed safely and quickly and less force as possible. So why are we using the words force-free? That's the problem. We don't just all call ourselves kindness trainers or something. I think every single person would agree that you don't want to be cruel to your dogs. You don't want to cause pain to your dogs. And it's not even unnecessary pain. You just don't want to cause pain to your dogs. You don't need to cause pain to your dogs. It's the stuff that you do well, is actually, about pain. actually, getting an injection is painful. Yes. Being neutered, that's, um, if we put that in a different way, that's uh, genital mutilation. Yes. We do that routinely. Yes. Cause our dog pain for future gain. Okay. So, yeah, we, we have arguments mm. um, with that a small amount of pain is worth the bigger term gain, don't we? Mm-hmm. If you ask the dog if it wants his bits chopped off, what do you think it would say? <laughs> Probably whatever man on the planet would say, yeah, if off, much, right? Yeah. So what is a smart way, apart from with, if we move the subject away from dogs and just think about uh, Facebook in general and getting into um, debates, let's say, um, yeah. what is a, a sort of the best way to deal with things? So, uh, so I guess the, the thing is on any social media platform, um, including forums and stuff online, you, you essentially have anonymity. So um, people tend to be less measured in terms of concerned about the way that their comments are taken. Like total extreme opposite. Do you find that with professionals? Uh, yes, because everybody believes they're right. So the more professional somebody is, the more they believe they're right. Wow. And the more they, be- the more they're educated, the more believe they've got a basis for saying whatever they want to say. I find. So what is it then about me that goes in with a, please show me how I can change my viewpoint, please yeah. show me how I'm wrong, here's what I think, give me some, and, and when they say something that makes me go, oh, I hadn't thought of it that way. Yeah. But they don't, they just no. yell at me and say I'm wrong. They don't, and, and you and I are kind of the same on that, I, I've got a real kind of, does it work, then it's fine kind of thing um, in, in therapy. Well you also know. we're critical thinkers, we, we like to yeah. think about all p- potential. We're self-aware, critical thinkers, and actually we love learning. So an opportunity to see things from a different point of view is exactly that. It's useful, yeah. It's really useful, and I hadn't considered doing that. And I can, you know, so for me, I always describe it as like I've got, I'm a very visual person. I've got this giant matrix screen, you know, the big glass screen. And I'm I'm moving stuff around. Somebody might tell me. This is your brain. Yeah, that's my brain. brain. It's inside my brain. So it's like, (laughs) oh, that fits in there. And then what I do is I find a way of turning it into something I can say for other people that they can understand. So it's just like I rearrange it so it looks really simple and really obvious. I love learning whether it's from my clients whether it's from the work that we do together a different way of looking at things that go that now changes it it's like really fascinating for me and then it can it has a ripple effect on everything else i do so because we've got so much information from different sources and we're forming our own opinions on things do you feel like these days i feel like for the last five years when i get new bits it's like almost like puzzle pieces to the bigger Mm -hmm. picture and it's confirming already what path i'm on Confirming sometimes I, I kind of I change you know uh, the things like when I started studying trauma and how it was recorded in the brain I had my own personal experience of having trauma cleared and how hard some of the bits of it were that my therapist didn't actually understand what he was doing and, and the effect of it and I was feeling back into him and that made 
me kind of go, well, I, I need to make sure my clients are protected in a way that maybe I wasn't with him, not in a negative wow. way. He just didn't understand. And it left me in a really Wonderful. difficult place and, and dangerous place. But he didn't know that. And, and because I'm used to being in a dangerous place, I was fine with it. I got through it. But I'm like, I don't want to take that risk with my clients. So I need to understand what happened and how I can prevent that happening with my clients. So develop the download that stops it. So so for me, it's always adding something and it sometimes takes me in a totally different path and a totally different approach. Sometimes it consolidates what I already know or explains why what I do works as well as it does. So I think maybe I'm quite early in the journey in terms of it's not necessarily consolidating a lot of the time a lot of time it's like new paths are opening up and new directions come from that okay and i find them more interesting to travel down but i think the the longer you go on it but i think the danger is that the more you learn the more experienced you become you become almost black and white about the stuff that you've already dealt with five ten years ago where you go yeah i've already been there i'm not that person anymore you know it's very hard then to teach as well because you know you find yourself seeing things that and, and this is a recent thing for me um not not too recent jennifer's been for the last couple of years trying to push me out of puppy classes because i'm too truthful about what i see <laughs> and where it's going and, yeah. and people don't like we had a german shepherd come in a few years ago and it came in about four months of age, barking its head off and, and growling and lunging. And I saw a dangerous dog in the making. Yeah. Well, I'm not allowed to use that word dangerous because that's specific to breeds, apparently. Reactive. Um, <laughs> reactive, yeah. Uh, very reactive. Volatile. That's a better word. <laughs> Ooh, can we use that? Volatile. So, um, and I, I made the owners aware that this was a path that we don't want to go down. We definitely we're at a crossroads yeah. just now, and we need to, you know, get this dog on track. And she actually said to me, do you think I'm going to grow this dog up to be aggressive? And I said, well, it could turn out that way if we don't you do something about it. And she flipped out. She shouldn't come back. No. And I saw that dog about six months, eight months later, and a big dog yeah. barking everybody on the street. Yeah, yeah. Um, on its back legs. And yeah, um, people don't want to hear it. They have to be ready to hear. Yeah, it's just absolutely. like if you, if you say to somebody, oh, here's a gift for a dog trainer. I don't need a dog trainer. But if they choose... To get yes, a dog trainer. absolutely. Same with me. Is it? Give, is give it somebody, the same? Give somebody. I. I. Uh, every year at Christmas, I used to do gift vouchers, and because I have books, I could. You know, you get a something as well. So you get a book. You get a gift voucher for free therapy with me. Somebody's bought you therapy because usually they'd experienced a change themselves and they loved it and they wanted you to benefit from it. Yeah. But you get a therapy voucher for your it's Christmas present. It was like, like what yeah. are you trying to say? Right, right, yeah. Right. So it's not taken well, but it's actually one of the things that's really important for people like you and me to, to understand is we must never lose sight of what it was when we were back in the days where we were green really and we didn't hard. know this stuff and it's really really hard but it's really important so because our goal is to help people and we can't help people by judging so i've really changed what i've been doing over the years and uh, i almost laugh when i think back when i first started because i was a little bit obsessed with um like diet you know it was a huge thing for me uncovering the, the industry of what was actually going on behind the scenes in right, the pet food okay. industry so um, the pet food industry regulate themselves so the really interesting thing about that is that um, when we eat animals like cows and sheep and, and pigs yep. it's very carefully monitored what goes into them especially after BSE yeah yeah um, so their food, like it's illegal to feed scraps to pigs. Did you right. know that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. To feed them specific pig food. So we know what goes into them so that when they hit that, the human food chain, it's it's yeah. all fine. Um, and 
there's certain medications if you give a horse uh, you have to tick the box to say it can't be put in the food, human food chain and so on yep. um, but dogs and cats do not in this country end up in the, the human food chain yep. unless it's in the black market for some random Asian people that want it but anyway <laughs> <Bye-bye>. <laughs> um, so we the, the pet food company for, for cats and dogs are not regulated they regulate right. themselves it's called AFCO if you want to look it up and um this was shocking because you can then put anything in. So yeah. I actually went round seven food companies, pet food companies, and some of which created, made horse feed as well. Okay. So they would take the the grain from the horse, right. and they would have the the husks from around the, the grain and put that into the dog food. Yeah. And that's supposed to be carbs, and most of the food was just as filler, right? Yeah. And uh, and I sat, and my mum came with me one day. We sat in a boardroom speaking to this guy who's like seven generations of owning this company which was really cool you know from a, a sort of business perspective and having this business in the family and he was really proud of it yep. and I said to him so um, tell me how, how you what trials you do how do you know that this is a, a healthy food for dogs well dogs have been eating it for generations I said yeah yeah but how, how do you know I mean how do you know how long the dogs are living for and you know how it's the best well the, the farmers get free samples and the dogs are doing great and when I said to him but the farmers probably also give scraps from the farmers table yeah. <laughs> to, their, to their working farm dogs like I know that gamekeepers give um, you know yeah. hunks of deer leg and stuff to their dogs um, in high protein when they're working, and um, he said it sort of turned pale and it was like you know he hadn't thought of that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I was kind of mortified. So I spent about an hour with every person just speaking about diet. Yeah. And you never really get feedback in that situation of what people, because people are always like, thank you so much, because that one bit of information is, you know, changing for them. So for me, it was always really positive. You get this um, positive reinforcement of going to clients, but you don't really know what they've taken in. Yes. And then years later, I heard from somebody else um, that their trainer had gone on about food too much and didn't actually do much training. Right. And I don't know whether it was me or not, but I probably was, because um, I was a little bit obsessed with making sure that we were doing the the, yeah, yeah. the foundation stuff correct. Yeah, it, it's interesting because I am not responsible for living my clients' lives. It is not my position to tell a client how to live their life. So if somebody comes to me for smoking, it is none of my business that they smoke. But my like, job. but like good diet, it's going to change behaviours. So do you it not is, think but that's not what they've stuff? come to me for. Okay. Right. So my job is to help them get their head out of the way. Okay. So that if they choose to give up smoking, they can give up smoking far easier than they would without my help. I know in the long run that's going to benefit them, but actually, I'm not living their life. I make my choices; they make their choices. So I don't care. So when somebody comes to me for weight, weight loss, or weight gain. You know, I don't care what somebody weighs. That's none of my business. If they have a healthy diet or not, it's none of my business. I, I have enough to worry about without worrying about every single other person and how they live their life. My job is clear. My job is to free them up to be able to be the best version of them that they can be. They have brought their brain to me and said, help me with this. And that's what I do. So how do you distinguish between all the parts of life that come to form that? Because if we had a topic on nutrition, we could bring it back to the brain, couldn't we? we yes, could. we could. So um, for me, I guess, when I go to visit people, or not, not so much now, but I did, I felt a huge responsibility for all aspects of that dog's yes. life, yeah. which was awful for me because yes. I'm like, where do we start? That's There's impossible. There's like, yes. you know, several things that need to change here. Yeah. And, and it's overwhelming for them absolutely. because they feel, they're going to feel judged and, and there's so many things to do. Yes. And 
you know there's practicalities that get in the way of whether you can do it and all that sort of stuff right so i i am very compartmentalized okay i do not live my clients lives okay. i do not care nicest possible way how my client lives their life my job is to help them make the choices they want to make without their head getting in the way that's simple as that what they then do with that is down to them so i you know i had a particular client who came to me for weight loss and and we did our stuff but i can get your head out of the way but that doesn't mean you automatically lose weight you then have to do stuff with diet and exercise and things to kickstart it to move it on forward yeah and i can give advice on things that i think you know i think if you're going to do something diet wise you should do something that you could see yourself doing for the rest of your life doing a diet for a short-term goal is just going to end up tricking out your metabolism in all the wrong ways so it's i I know from the science and the neuroscience behind it that diets don't work in in the true sense but if you want to lose weight then you don't want to have to worry about going to a restaurant and whether you should have pudding or not you want to be able to have pudding but actually just have a little bit and taste it and really enjoy it and not feel guilty because you're not blowing it because you have to because you've held back for so long you might as well eat all of it you know so I, I want people to enjoy and live their lives without being constrained by those things so this particular client we did our thing it made a difference um there's people moving chairs again why did people it's like I'm just looking I'm glaring by the way I'm glaring at people who they are rearranging the furniture in Starbucks <laughs> I don't know whether you could hear them just stop. <laughs> okay. They've got two high chairs now instead of chairs. I'm sure when they leave, they will move the high chairs out of the way and move all the furniture back again. Anyway, um, <laughs> so um, so you know, so so we did the thing, and and the client lost a bit of weight, but didn't lose a huge amount of weight, um, and that's fine because you still have to make a choice. What do I do next? You have to make a choice. I make it really easy for you to make the choice, but you still have to make the choice. Two years later, or maybe a year and a half later, he was ready to make the choice. And he made the choice and he lost something like seven stone. And he'd never lost that much and he'd never kept it off before in his life. But you could say that our session didn't work because he didn't lose weight after the session. But actually when he did get when he was ready, he lost it, he kept it off for life, he's got a totally new lifestyle and he's a totally different guy. But his whole life, he'd lost it, but gained it, lost it, but gained it. So, so for me, my job is to make it easier for him to make choices. If he was overweight, underweight, I couldn't care less. That's none of my business. I don't live his life, as I say. So I think somebody brings me a problem, they bring you a problem. I need to learn how to not care then, because I really, I mean, I worry about people when they, about the dogs, not people. I worry about dogs that they phone me and they tell me they've got these problems and then I don't hear from them again. Yes. I worry about that dog. Yes. You know, what happened to that dog? Yeah. So um, I don't know how to train my brain to, to that sounds terrible, care less, no, so that it, it saves not. me, do you know? It, yeah, absolutely. You know, when I, when I say to people, I don't care, that's not what you expect to hear from your therapist. Your, <laughs> your therapist should be, like, personally invested in you. But yeah. I, I don't care what your story is. I care how it's affecting your life. Yes. I don't care how you choose to live your life. I care that you have a choice to do what you want to do because I trust in you enough to know that if I free you up to make the choices then good things are going to happen. You trust your, you can trust your clients enough to know that if you give them the tools to be able to handle their dogs and have a happy life with their dogs, they will use those tools. They might not always but use I suppose, them. you know, and the world word tools uh, for you is um, uh, emotional ones. And for me, it could be very practical ones, yes. you know, like a slip lead. Yeah. But for me, the tools are sometimes used in the way that wasn't intended. 
Yes, but that's the difference between being a coach and a trainer. Okay. Right? So a coach is a person who shares their expertise, works with somebody in their model of the world to allow them to be the best version of them that they can be. Mm-hmm. But they're responsible for that. A trainer might be like, you do this, you do that, you do this, you do it my way, and if you do it my way, it'll work, and if you don't do it my way, it won't work. But we all know everybody's different, every dog's different, so it's... It's just it's an interpretation, you it know? It is an interpretation. I gave a slip lead the other day, um, and I, I, used, I helped, the puppy was choking on the slip lead, and I mean, we saw her today, and she was actually doing a lot better with using her food, because ideal situation, force-free, yeah. use your food by your leg, teach that dog, that's how, we, that's how I teach my dogs. Yeah. But if a dog's already choking and she cannot walk it, then I'll stick a slip, a slip lead on the nose temporarily to help them take the pressure off the windpipe. Yep. Um, and the harness is going to do the opposite again pull forward pull forward and create all sorts of other problems um, including pain uh, and muscles and so on so but when she walked away with that slip lid on the puppy's nose I was like that puppy's going to get it off it's going to scratch it off and she's going to go oh, he can't keep it on because yeah. I just know she's the kind of person that's going um, to not be, be too relaxed about yeah. it you know, and, not, and not we think. will always have those you know we will always have those you will always have the people you're like oh I see but them I again but I have this again. worry as well because it's like well when they, if they if they choose to go well that didn't work for me yeah. she must be wrong because one bit of information can change their whole outlook on, on me yeah, right absolutely. on my methods and then they go to another trainer and that trainer says oh my god you should never have used this living this puppy it's yep. terrible yep. you know it's so going to happen yeah it does happen of course it does and um yeah, so, so everything about me becomes a negative because of that one little thing. So yeah. it's almost like we've got to choose which information we give to which person. Not so much. It's just you, you don't have to own the result of everything that you give out. Really? Yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> wow. It's, a big, it's one of the things where you and I are really different okay. in different places. Not different in the sense that you're, you're capable of this. It's just... I guess maybe our, our personal makeup and the situations in life have led us to this point. So for me, it's actually, for me, it's a survival mechanism to be able to do what I do. Okay. Right? Because I do care. I care deeply about everybody. I care deeply about friends. I, you know, I can't stand to see... A, for me, the worst thing ever is to see somebody I care about hurt in some way. It, I just it cannot... I could tolerate any amount of hurt myself. I cannot tolerate seeing somebody else hurt. It's just impossible for me. Um, and I will go into mega overdrive fix-it mode if somebody's hurting. I just It's something I can't deal with. But in my professional life, I can't be that person. I can't be that vested in something that I have no control over. It's very hard to, you know, it, that helplessness of caring but not being able to influence is, is too unbearable to be able to function. So as a therapist, I've had to learn to find a way of creating a boundary and that boundary for me is really clear I will do my best and I will help you in the best way possible but when you get off a call with me there's nothing I can do yeah. beyond that point you know and, and I will I encourage all my clients to communicate with me in between and most of them don't and they will have a terrible time and they won't tell me about it or they'll, they'll go I don't think it's worked for me you know my two week session later I'll get I'll get a client come in and say it, it, I don't think it's worked I'm not seeing any difference and then we'll talk for an hour and there'll be huge differences but they just write them off because they didn't feel like big differences they just felt too easy too temporary <laughs> like it wasn't a big deal now the people around them will have seen wow that was a real big change I've never heard you say I've never seen that before they will say that but my client will be like 
no, I don't think this is really working. But then if you're changing the subconscious, there's not the conscious isn't going to realise it, right? Exactly, because the problem with CBT and, and conscious therapy is that the minute your brain's switched off, you can't do anything. <laughs> so my whole job is about not getting, getting your brain switched and not switched off. So your life should get easier, but not like... Fluffy bunnies and unicorns, you know, you're not, you're not. But the subtle change is, is even better, though. The the permanence, yeah. because you don't have to be conscious, fully on, fully <laughs> conscious yeah, to make yeah, it work. Yeah. So if you're stressed, they're still going to work. If you're tired, it's still going to work. So you need to do some magic on me then, specifically about um, my my worries that the world's somehow going to think I'm a bad person because yeah. of, do you know what I mean? Like, um, and which is. Uh, they're unfounded because obviously I'm more successful now than I've ever been uh, really busy even to the point where I can choose what clients I want to work with if they've somebody yesterday messaged me with a a working dog they've just got for their mobility scooter yep. I said how are you going to tire this dog out well I've got a mobility scooter so and I have to be really careful you know I don't want to be seen to be disabled or anything um, and I'm not I do a lot of work um, you know yeah, yeah. for therapy dogs and so on but um it's getting to the point now where you're making bad choices I don't have to get involved in this because this is setting up for not a good time you know Um, but yeah I I very much every time I work with somebody I'm like super conscious of what have they taken from it and how is it going to affect me professionally out there in the world yeah yeah I know I know we've we've had conversations about this because you know you will have people who don't like what you do you will have things that affect your reputation um, and you will have fans. You will have. You always have fans and the people who. But what do is it about our brains that focus on the, the negative so much? Because it's a caveman thing. You need to fit in, and if you're the weakest person in the pack, you're going to die. So I don't we're feel like looking. the weak person no, at I all. Know. It's, it's not. It's not logical. Of course, you don't feel like <laughs> it because that's a logical thing. And if it was logical, you'd have thought your way past it, and it wouldn't okay. be a problem, right? Okay. It's a primitive drive to need to be um, a key accepted. member of the pack, accepted. You know, human givens. Back to those status all these things and anything that threatens it and for you and i things that threaten our reputation we have enough knowledge and awareness to understand the repercussions of that our whole lives our whole career could end with our reputation being damaged and it's not just uh it's not just a job is it you know it's not a job we can switch off from at night it's not we do care we do think about what happens in between you know i i quite often will get not quite often, but I will get clients who message me in crisis asking for advice, which is fine because that's what I say. You know, if you're struggling, message me, I can help. But they never bar like once or twice. Now, bearing in mind, I've seen 1,300 people in the last nine years, right? Never come back after the crisis has passed and tell me, thanks for that, I'm sorted now. But sometimes I hear from um, a referral who say so and so referred me and I'm like oh well they must have been okay then because last time <laughs> I spoke to them they were having a bit of a crisis and now they're sending clients my way you know so I can learn through or they'll they'll comment on one of my social media posts with you know look at what I'm doing and this is amazing and I'm like oh great your, your life's but this is the problem with my therapy approach like two to three sessions and then they don't need to see me anymore so I don't have that ongoing relationship but they will go into crisis and I'll be like oh my god oh my god and I'll be worrying about it and I'll be thinking about it and like what can I do what other things can I suggest to them and I'll you know waiting to hear back and I don't hear anything back so no news is good news no news is good <laughs> news yeah and the the countless times I've had referrals and things from people like that because you know I help them change their life and that's that's brilliant but for me I'm super aware that in one moment something would happen it won't be the one I expected it's never the one you expect it's some random interaction and it could all go horribly wrong and then that could stop me seeing anybody else again 
Not likely, but yeah. It's not likely. And, you know, we have governing bodies and professional, we do learning and, you know, continuous professional development, CPD, and we do um, supervision, peer things, and, you know, we, we check and balance ourselves off against other people. We do lots of things. Certainly as therapists, we do lots of things to make sure that we're always checking ourselves. It's really important. But still, random moments can happen. But if you think about those moments, then you get paralyzed. You get you get caught in a loop. And as I said, like when we started talking, the things that cause us the real problems are the ones we could never predict that totally blindside us and change our world in a moment. So that's the other thing I'm really aware of. I've had it happen enough times in my life. My world has turned upside down. And you're just like, I have to live for now. So I can't worry about well, this. Well, the, the, the couple of weeks ago, the one that we had, I don't know if we mentioned it on the podcast, we had our first complaint. Did we mention it? don't think so. So we had our first complaint um, to the dog warden. Um, and it was a client that didn't even get to come on the walk because she didn't turn up with the muzzle that I'd asked her for to yeah. do three times. And um, they complained to the dog warden about it, which was the best possible complaint you could yeah, have. it was. And you said that at the time. You said, but this is great. You told her she can't come because she's not got a muzzle. You've got safety first. And she's going to put a complaint in. So that's cool. That's great. Yeah. But at the time, it was like, oh, my God, this is, you know, this yeah, is terrible. Yeah, it does. And so you're human. And so I think that's part of it. You've got to be realise you're human. And these things affect you. And you're human doing a caring job. Yeah, but when you're a person that cares, it's really hard to have somebody turn on you because, you know, I'm still caring about their dog, even though they've done that to me. Yeah. Um, and it's you're living in this parallel universe where you're like, I, I would never treat someone like that. How could they possibly behave yeah. like that? So you know? I always zoom right out. That, that's the way I do it. I zoom, zoom, zoom out as far as I need to go to make it not a big deal. So, you know, when you say, like, you know, they're asking me to take this dog on, I can't, I just don't have the capacity to do it right now. And that makes you feel terrible because, you know, these dogs need looking after. So I'm going to zoom out and I'm going to say, all the dogs in the UK, how many of them do you have? And if that's not enough, if that's not giving you enough perspective, go to the whole of Europe, go to the whole of the world, right? How many dogs in the world are there that you're not able to help? And that perspective is what, so I'm like, right, I've got this client that I can't help but let's zoom out and zoom out how many other clients are there out there that I can't have and I will just literally zoom out until I've got enough perspective <laughs> to say that's just one little dot that I can't even make out yeah. and I think you need to do that for the dogs because you want to help them especially the rescue dogs that you want to help and you've got to zoom out and go okay well, I get myself into this uh, regularly you know every every um, couple of months I take a break and then I go I'm helping everything and then I get overwhelmed yeah. and then I and you know something will happen or I'll realise actually my own dogs are not getting the best of me because I'm taking on the rest of the world's problems yeah. uh, and that really sucks you know especially yeah. what's happened this week so um, so you work with what you can and then, and then I have to deal with people that only take their own dogs and, all, and then put out the world that force free is the way to go yeah great I could do the same I could just say screw everybody's dogs that need help and just let's focus on puppies yes and just let's just do puppies and do force free forever and be a wonderful fairy tale trainer <laughs> I, could, I could do but that that's not, that's not what floats your boat so you know it's like you it know, would float my boat it would be a lovely place to be just living in it. complete ignorance you absolutely couldn't do it you <laughs> so couldn't do it it would be unbelievable in the same way as I can't walk the streets anymore when people have got dogs because you've ruined it for me you know it's just like you can't go back on this stuff so it's the not my circus not my monkeys thing it's the you know I can be the best person I can be for somebody who comes to me and says can I help you I cannot persuade I will tell people what I do I will explain what I do 
and I will help people understand that I can help them. But I will not engage in persuading them to come and see me. Because it's like, maybe somebody else is better for you. I'm quite happy for you to go to somebody else. I don't have to persuade you because I've got other people that need me. Yeah, well, we're in that luxury of you know getting plenty of business in to do that. But if you were marketing yourself, you need to find the trends, don't you? And the trend is at the moment. Uh, sort of. You, you, you need to find... So I call it a splattergun approach, which is where you just shoot a gun and everything that sticks you follow, right? So when you first start off, you just follow everything that sticks. Um, but you, you learn which things you really like doing and you kind of hone in on them. Okay. And I think one of the things is there's enough space in the world for all of us. There's enough dogs for all the trainers. There's enough clients for all the therapists. I don't need to worry about me being the same as somebody else or that somebody else gets clients where I don't because they're cheaper or they do a different approach or whatever. I just need to make sure that people understand what I give them and then they've got information to make a decision and that's my responsibility to to put stuff out there so that they can see to help them understand it but if they then choose to go somebody else that's not a failing on my part that's just the way it is but if I'm too scared to go on a video or too scared to write a post or something then yeah of course my clients are all going to go to the people who are out there talking and it's really hard you know all over Instagram there's people who say stuff yeah, I followed lots of people with millions of followers on Instagram and they just talk twaddle you know repeatedly just talk such and then everybody's like after you know all the oh babes that's amazing oh you changed my life but and you're just like well we've really? got we've got one in Scotland as well who's uh, you know the trainer version yeah and uh, it drives me crazy the comments that are you know on the and he's one of these people that deletes anything that doesn't go against yeah. it goes against his narrative um, yeah really really frustrating yeah and it's just it's really frustrating for me when I'm like scraping by with my you know I'm trying to get to a thousand followers I'm like 950 and then they keep dropping off and going, I'm like I want a thousand but you know I, I see these other people and I, I provide so much more value but they've got millions of followers and they've got all these but I'm just like but that's not me that's that's I'm not too them. much though. Yeah, it's you, too you much and they're them and that's I'm a lot me. of responsibility like a million people following you whoa <laughs> But, you know, we're different, level. We're, we're different people. There's somebody for everybody. And, and I, I have to walk my own path. And it's natural to compare and be worried and feel not good enough. But you don't have to believe the lies your brain's telling you. You just go, you can think it. I don't feel don't like believe. I'm not good enough. I feel like, um, yeah, it's back to that miscommunication thing again. And I feel like my calling's bigger than just uh, helping individuals. I think that changing systems... Yeah. Probably not in the dog world, more like in the human world, you know, sorry, the teaching kids yeah. and stuff. Um, you know, the dog world's almost secondary because it's the people that cause the problems. Dogs are fine. Yes. And we know that, yeah, right? Yeah. So if we can, um, and we go back to this a lot, if we can help the people do better, then they'll yeah. do better with their dogs. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a one person at a time. I find it overwhelming to try and think of the bigger picture and the bigger system stuff. I, I don't think I'm the sort of person that is best suited to taking on the system. Really? Yeah. I, I'm a one person at a time. I don't think we can take the system on, but I think we can put in, and if we think about cogs and machinery, we can put in stuff that stops the cogs to help. Other people will know how to go, ah, I know how to do that. Yeah. So it's meeting the right people. I think it's always about meeting the right people. It is. I, I like to be the resource. <laughs> you're the meeting the right people person. You're the kind of get it, and I'll be the resource that makes it all work. <laughs> so. Uh, you're very good at the admin stuff. Oh, thanks. Hey, there it's you go. It's not a bad thing. 
I have a rubbish attention to detail though, which is ironic. <laughs> Everybody thinks I'm really organised. I'm just do things when I need to do them. I just don't do task lists. It's, uh, it, it just makes me look really organised, and I'm not. I'm just a, a, a doer, not a planner. <laughs> I have a phobia about planning. Yeah, we've gone over an hour. Oh it's like God. an hour and three minutes. I find it really interesting that you said that um, I would do it anyway. I would enjoy it because I I don't feel like I do enjoy that part of my job, taking in dogs that are trying to kill me and living in a house with dogs that are super dangerous. Yeah. Um, I would rather not do it. But when it comes to like little Odie, for example, who's um, come up come up to get signed off and then actually done really well, but he said five fosters who all know what they're doing and yeah. have been bitten. Yeah. And, I, and it makes me feel like why isn't there enough people able to do this stuff why is it on me I don't understand but and then if I me. say no what happens to those dogs you know same with me right so um, the amount of kids that need help right now is huge yes you know the cams the child and adolescent mental so health service tell me or tell everyone um, I forgot we were doing a podcast there <laughs> tell everyone uh, what is the cams structure so what normally happens in cams so um because so you, you wait half a year. Child and Adolescent <laughs> Mental Health Services. It is the NHS CBT therapists. So the CBT is when you've got to do quite a bit of work yourself. Cognitive behavioural therapy. So cognitive, we know, is the thinking part of the brain. Behavioural, what you do. So it's patterns of behaviour. So it's thinking around your patterns of behaviour in therapy. Everything I do is a non-thinking stuff, right? So that's the 5% of your time that your brain is in a thinking state. So you're talking about tasks like, um, for example, you might, if you had bad dreams, you might write your dream down in the middle of the night, and then in the morning you would read back what you read, what you dreamt about. The idea behind that is that you, it makes it look smaller. But the reality is, you just trigger yourself back into your, your dream state that you've forgotten about, right? Because that's how emotions work. Another task in CBT is, um, to write down every hour what your mood is. The idea is to show you that you're not consistently in one mood all the way through the day. Self-awareness, yeah. But it also allows you to focus on, man, 50% of the day I was feeling depressed, you know? So it, it, it kind of can backfire quite easily. So we know that uh, from statistics, CBT works on 50% of people. Something like 43% of the is people it? will get better using the PHQ not, 7 not, and GAD, the GAD 7, PHQ 9. It's not measure. really ideal. No, so it, over six months, 43% of people will improve from above the line to below the line on the measures that the NHS uses for depression and anxiety. So my bestie went through CBT years ago, and one of the reasons that she didn't want to do any further therapy was because it didn't work for her. No, because it puts awful. an onus. It's it's almost operant, isn't it? So you've got to have the person doing the work, whereas in yours, um, yeah, I get I get the head out of the way. So so that it's all on you. So, so think of this from a kid's point of view, right? So you've got anxiety, let's say. You've got yeah. anxiety about going to school. And um, to the point where you're really struggling even to go into school. It's making you physically sick. Uh, in the morning, you're just really struggling to get to school. Your parents are desperate for you to go to school, don't understand what's up. Everybody's on at you. The school's being really helpful. They're trying to let you come in later in the day. But nothing seems to work because you just end up physically sick and crying and having panic attacks. So you get on a wait list, you see a guidance counsellor, you get on a wait list to see CAMS. Your wait list to see CAMS will be somewhere between 6 months to 18 months. Um, and only if, uh, quicker if you're suicidal to the point where you're actually trying to kill yourself, suicidal. Talking about suicidal is not severe enough on the scale of things. 
So it's under-resourced, you end up on a wait list. You'll then have six sessions with a CBT therapist who will sit there and tell you, this is why you're anxious. What you need to do is you need to try this breathing exercise. You need to um, look at the sky, find something on the floor, find you know, find five objects. So that person, I really hope she's listening, because I'm still expecting an apology from her, that came on the walk, uh, who wasn't a, an official client, but came on the walk as a, a friend of a friend, um, when she told everybody her dog was a bad dog and it should be put down. And um, remember the one that yeah. you told her, hold the puppy and, and you know, Here's a puppy. Wasn't even in a good enough place to hold a puppy. No. Yeah. Um, she was super stressed. Yeah. Right? She, I, I suggested that rather than doing a session with me, which is what she wanted, that she did a session with you first. And that put her back up because um, she, didn't want, she didn't want a therapy session, yeah. right? Um, but she, I said to her, you can give her some um, th- tools to help her. And she said, yeah, yeah, I know. Um, breathing exercises and so on. So she's probably been to CAMS and probably had through all that stuff. Yep. Which is very different than you. So how do I tell someone or explain to someone that the stuff that they've been through is very um, different and if they feel like it's not worked for them or it's, you know, they've waited such a long time to yep. go through that and then it's been shit really. Yeah, yeah. How do I explain that you do something very different? Well, usually what I say to people is, so, so we, we take our kid, they go to cams, they tell them to do breathing stuff, right? So nobody's stupid, you totally understand. If I say to you, do a breathing thing, you, you, you're going to get me, right? And you're also going to understand why a breathing thing could help. I might even explain to you um, that when you're in a state of anxiety, your breathing's erratic. And so that informs your brain that you're panicking and it becomes a two-way cycle. And so we're like, we're panicking, we're panicking, we're panicking, and it kicks off. Um, so if you do a breathing thing that's regular, your body's going, oh, we're breathing regular, maybe we're not panicking. And your brain goes, oh, maybe we're not panicking. And the whole <laughs> system stands down, right? So we get that. That's, that's all totally understandable. Um, Ideal situation. Absolutely. Force free. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely perfect. Except for the fact that the minute you're triggered, so the minute you try and walk in your school gates, the part of your brain that has access to that particular technique that particular breathing exercise is now gone. Yeah. It's off. Yeah. Right? You don't have that anymore. So what happens is now, when you finish panicking, when you've not made it to school, you sit there kind of going, so not only do I have a problem, but I'm now not doing the thing that's supposed to help me. So you failed, the expert told you failed on two levels. Double fail. Yeah, double yeah. fail. I can't get into school and I can't do the thing that they told me that would actually fix me. So now I'm an absolute failure, I'm a lost cause. And so why has this become the norm then, that CBT is the, is the recommended? Because that's everybody just works with a thinking brain. That's how psychology works. It's a thinking brain process. And, and you know, it's not, the, um, it's not that black and white, obviously. And, and different, you have um, counselling, person-centred counselling. You have lots of different types of counselling, lots of different types and of And you therapies. don't agree with the, the normal counselling of talking about your problems and bringing it all up? I don't. Because every time you talk about something, you make it bigger. So let's say we talk about a really good example. We're reinforcing emotions. Yeah, so a really good example <laughs> that, that I've given, actually, that I've, I kind of cured myself of a couple of things by talking about this. So when I was younger, I didn't get fed particularly well. Not because we were poor, just because nobody cared, right? So when I ate an apple, I ate the whole apple. Stalk was the only thing I didn't eat. Part of me kind of hoped that the apple tree would grow in my stomach, like people told you if you ate the pips, you know. But anyway, so I ate the whole (laughs) apple, right? So one day, I think I was at my granny's, and I bit into my apple and I found half a worm. And I'm like, oh, there's half a worm in my apple. So I spat out the bit that was in my mouth, and I ate around it, 
and I finished the apple. Right Now, many years later, as an adult, a friend said, do you want an apple? And I went, no, I don't really eat apples. And she went, how can you not eat apples? And I went, well, there was this time when I was a kid when I bit into an apple and there was half a worm in there. And she was like, ooh, gross, that's like disgusting. And I went, that is a more appropriate reaction, isn't it? <coughs> Actually, that is pretty gross. And maybe I didn't carry on eating the apple. Because, you know, who remembers what I actually did? Probably would have made more sense that I just went, ooh, gross, and I took the apple away. So now, not only did I have a memory of finding half a worm in my apple, I had a memory of my friend's face and the look on her face. And that memory was updated with all this extra information. So next time I thought of eating an apple, not only do I have the memory of the worm in the apple, I have the memory of my friend and her reaction to how gross that was. So it makes it bigger. So when you talk about things, you make them bigger. Now, hang on, hang on. Is the emotion from the apple initial, um, so your initial reaction was to stop eating apples? So my, no, my adult reaction, so my initial reaction as a child, with the limited understanding I had as a child, where food was a bigger motivator than the gross finding a worm, was to carry on eating the apple. As an adult, when I'd been able to process that because my brain was developed enough, and somebody asked me, do you want an apple? When I said no, I remembered that the reason I'm saying no was because of this moment. Oh my goodness. I have no Ooh, idea that? what that was, but we all jumped. There was a dog Judy. somewhere. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, so my brain did its ding, 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 back to this. And my brain, out of my conscious awareness, was doing it until somebody actually asked me and, and challenged me on why I didn't eat apples. Up until then, I just didn't eat apples. I eat them with the kind of cool apple cora slicey thing, so you can see the whole thing, right? But so it wasn't I didn't like apples. It's just I'd had this experience where I don't bite into apples, but I didn't. But, eat but you hadn't realised that you're. Um, do you need a dog trainer? Yeah, <laughs> um, I have one here. Do, you hadn't realised that you didn't eat apples because of that no, initial? I didn't. Until wow. my friend said, wow. "That's kind of crazy that you don't eat apples." So in a therapy session, somebody might help you have this insight as to why you feel as the to way why you, do. you feel the way you That's do, right? Cool. Yeah. But then, in traditional psychology, I would then tell you what I think about that and why you reacted that way, and then we would store it back. So because the session would end after an hour. So you try and use logic to get through yeah. that. So after an hour, the story would end. You'd leave your session, but now you'd have this memory that had just come to the surface, been made bigger by all the adult realisation between your therapist and you, and now stuck back in your head with all the big stuff. Right? So now what I do is I bring them forward, but I change them. So in my mind, I found a jelly worm in my apple. It's a red and green jelly worm, which was quite a result when you're a kid and you're not getting much food and you find a sweetie in the middle of your apple, right? How exciting was that? So in my mind, I like now think about biting into my apple and I can see my red and green, I'm a very visual person, right? It's like, what a result that was. Now, next time I think of eating an apple, my brain doesn't go, that's a bad thing. My brain goes, you never know, you might find a jelly worm in this apple and it's a good thing. So we change the memory. It's that simple. So no, but it's such a, a new, I mean, it's not new for me because I know that you've, um, obviously we've had lots of conversations about this, but it's a, it's a new thing in the world. Like, I don't, I don't think I've met anybody else that's a, a memory transformer. Yes, that's a nice <laughs> term, I like that. That's what I'm going to use, memory transformer. <laughs> it's pretty crazy. Do you know what we need to do? We need to get a professor from the university to come and speak to us on psychology. I'll do that then. <laughs> <laughs> have conversations with a professor of, of psychology. Yeah, but this isn't how psychology works. So if you talk to a psychologist, they'll not, they'll not work this way. 
so, so but it'll be interesting to find out what a psychology professor thinks about CAMs. Yes. Thinks about memory uh, transformations. Do you know all yeah, that kind of yeah, stuff? Yeah, yeah, so, and also this big thing that's haunting me in the dog world, which is this: you can't reinforce. Um, emotions, whatever that means. Right? Yeah. So. <laughs> and so this is the thing. This is why the brains are fascinating. Cause it, so if it works, it's so easy to change people's brains. But we just do it. Yeah. yeah. But but it's so easy that in a therapy session that is usually timed to one hour, which mine aren't, because we just do what we need to do. But how yeah. could you possibly put something so important down to a time frame? Yeah, but you end at an hour. It's awful. You could have stirred all this stuff up. You could have had all these realizations, and you have to walk out the room. And for two weeks, you had to live your life. Yeah. That's why it doesn't Well, I've work. worked with a lot of veterans and I've seen that yeah. very firsthand after a, a, a session yeah. you know, with, with a psychologist or with a, a psychiatrist and uh, for about a week after that they're a bit edgy. Cause it's really hard. What happens, um, they don't realise, and they should be told that all those chemicals that happened when the event happened, that traumatic event, will be released back into your body because you've just relived that. It's, it's scary, it's scary. So nothing I do, I never do anything without changing it. Everything I do gets minimised in a session. Anything we bring forward gets messed with, so it's it's stored back differently, and that's the key difference with what I do. But no, yeah, people don't generally do that in the same way. We are talking for way too long. We're just going to have to go on another podcast for any other subjects that come up now. <laughs> it's, it's fine. Yes, it's fine. So this is this is Memory Transformer Dawn signing out. <laughs> I'll speak to you again soon.